0: All right, so uh in two weeks, I have jury duty, yeah, we're talking about affliction today, jury duty. fact is, we're going to face affliction in this life. It's as certain as jury duty on the nineteenth. I will report to uh, the the county courthouse and will serve my time to the state of Florida as a juror. I've done it once before in Oklahoma. I don't think I was ever called in Boston. I think I was called once. No, I was called, but my case was resolved. Um, So that was good. So hopefully that'll happen again this time. We'll see. But jury duty is a fact. You know, when you move to a new place, typically it's between three and four years. Pretty standard once you've gotten somewhere that... You're probably gonna get summoned to uh to serve on a on a jury. And so I'm I'm serving on a jury. On, on January 19th, I will I will be there. Um I will be serving jury duty. Um it's a fact, it's it's something that we will face. Affliction is also a fact. We will face affliction in life. It's there's no doubt about it, and we're gonna talk about that throughout today. There's even, a, uh, there's even a clothing brand based on this reality, right? Affliction. The ethos behind this clothing brand is the celebration, really, of those who endure affliction and just take it head on and, and take it on the chin and, and go through it. It's a celebration of just affliction in itself with nothing beyond that, just the reality of it. There's something that is good in that, but there is something that is greater than that. I want to read something as we start out today. Uh, it's an article, some excerpts of an article that I read this week from a sports blogger that I follow. His name is uh, Kyle Porter, he lives in Dallas, Texas. Um, I want to read a few words to start us out. I'm getting really excited about baby number three, really excited. I finally read the birth book, and I realized how curious I am to find out the gender. I cannot be more enthralled with that right now. I'm also hopeful that Jen's labor will be swift and steady. That was on a Monday morning. Two hours later, Jen told me she hadn't felt the baby move all morning. She was 36 weeks pregnant. Our pastor always says, your life can change with one phone call. You're not exempt. The problem with that is that I always thought I was. I thought my friends were too. This is an illusion, of course. And about 100 minutes later, I got that phone call from my wife who said her midwife wanted her to go get a sonogram because she couldn't find the baby's heart. If we're being honest, we didn't, we didn't need the sonogram. It was a formality. We both already knew. We both knew as we drove to the hospital. We both knew as they put her in a wheelchair. We both knew as they went through two sonogram machines, thinking one was broken. The doctor didn't even need to say it, but she did anyways, two words that change the rest of your life. There might not be two more powerful words. No heartbeat. The memorial was on a Saturday morning. I read a letter I had written about the week. I didn't think I could get through it, the Lord sustained, continued to sustain, though. I looked out over 50 or 75 of our dearest friends and family and tried my best to preach what we had learned from the week. And here's part of what I read. Hebrews 5.8 reminds us that Jesus learned obedience from suffering. We have felt the weight of that verse this week and testified that it is good. We lost Kate, but we got more of God, and that is a sweet thing. There is no bitterness among us. How could there be? We aren't even promised tomorrow. We are sustained here on earth in the expanse of the universe only by God's words. We are owed nothing. We are grateful to have met Kate, to have shared half a day with her, for Jen to have shared eight months with her. That is a gift. It is nothing else. And when Jen wanted Kate to meet her and see her face and feel her embrace, we rejoice that she saw Jesus first. I've always enjoyed the spotlight to a degree. I think everyone does in some way. That feels like a pretty personal thing to admit, but I'm also writing about the loss of a child, so I guess we're beyond that this was a week when I both embraced and loathed the spotlight. I embraced it because I was glad to shine a light on our Lord, and I loathed it because I really, really wish I didn't need to, uh, need to, need to in this way. The last of these spotlight moments was carrying my child's casket to the hearse, from the hearse to the grave, and I spoke with our pastor a few hours before that. He stared me in the eyes and told me, that as her father... that as her father, I wouldn't regret putting her casket in the ground. I shook as I stood in the road 25 yards from her resting place and stared at a casket the size of a wastebasket. With 15 sets of eyes staring at my back, I didn't want to move. I wanted to disappear. I wanted to wake up. Eventually, I lowered my six-pound child six feet in the ground with a pair of straps that looked like they should have been corralling boxes in the bed of our truck when we moved to our next house. I had to get down on my knees and then lay on my chest to reach far enough to release the casket. We buried Kate with some of our favorite things, books, pictures, drawings from the kids. We wept over the grave and laid four roses on her buried casket. Putting a baby in the ground changes you. I don't know how it couldn't. We went back to church and I found one of those strong men I mentioned earlier. He held me again and told me things would never be the same for any of us. And he's right. I've read that article a couple of times this week. Um, It's amazing that it's easy to read something to yourself. It's much more difficult to say This is part of the life we live. Death is a part of the life we live. Affliction is a part of the life we live. I cannot imagine being in this man's place. I can't imagine what he's gone through in this experience. And the truth is that he's not alone. That this is sadly normal in our world one of the things that he mentions within the article is that just one week prior to this this same church had another couple who had laid a child in this same graveyard right next to theirs Affliction in life should be expected. We should not be surprised that it comes. Today, we're going to look at four afflictions that that we should expect in life. That the Bible actually speaks of and, and says to us that these afflictions will come. You should not be surprised when they come, they will come. There are general afflictions, there are self-afflictions, there are afflictions from sin, and there are persecutions, the affliction of faith. In each of these things, we know there is affliction and it will come. But what is greater than that is that there is also purpose and there is also comfort in every affliction that we face we don't have to be like this clothing brand who says let's celebrate affliction for affliction's sake no god has delivered us from affliction is delivering us from affliction will deliver us from affliction It is a reality we will face, but God has delivered us, and we will see that as we look. So first, of these four afflictions, general affliction. From the very start of the Bible, we know that the first man and woman failed. God gave them everything they need and gave them one command for which to obey him by, and they chose to not obey him as king, and now, as a result, this world is broken and we 've talked about that many times in this church and 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 discussed that reality that with the the um, the fall of man, all humanity, all the world is now groaning and is broken for all time and And that is the beginning of general affliction that we ought to expect. It is a promise that is given from the outset of the Bible that affliction is our reality. Affliction is the status of this world. This world is broken and breaking, and we are broken and breaking, and that is a reality that we face. There is affliction. Just last night, I think it was just last night, there was A tornado that came through Florida and actually caused major damage, which is rare for them to be strong enough to actually cause damage. We have natural disasters throughout this world that happen all the time. We have um, diseases that have no connection to someone's uh, lifestyle that are stricken on people all the time. Affliction occurs in this life and it is general, it is part of the human experience. And it is a result of the fall of mankind. But just as affliction is common to our experience, we forget often that grace is also common to our experience. There is a common grace that is given to humanity. The fact that I am here breathing and alive is grace. The good that happens to us in this life is a comfort against the, the affliction that also happens in this life. Good and bad, our experiences are a part of living. So there's general affliction and there's, there's comfort to that, which is just general comfort, general grace. But the fact is if you stop right there in this discussion of affliction, you end up with you end up with a yin and yang sort of paradigm of life that uh, there's just some good in the bad and there's just some bad in the good and it all just happens and occurs and we all experience it and we're here together experiencing it. And let's just acknowledge that we're common in that, that there is good and bad, and you have to take the good with the bad and you have to take the bad with the good. It, if you just stop at the reality and and just expect general affliction in life, you have this mentality that you're stuck in. But the reality, there is more affliction that we ought to expect and there is even greater comfort that we can have in God. The truth is as emotional and powerful as uh, losing this child that I spoke of is it is part of the general affliction on the world. It's part of living that one in some hundred and fifty pregnancies end in some sort of miscarriage or, or death before birth. So there's general affliction. There is also self-affliction. We see in uh, James 1, 13 to 15, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The fact is we should expect affliction because of our own selves. We self-afflict. We take on patterns that directly affect our experience in life. And sometimes we like to blame them on other circumstances or put the blame on somebody else. But the truth is we are self-inflicting ourselves. We are, we are causing affliction to ourselves. And James speaks clearly of that. The sin, the temptation and the sin is not from God. It is our own desire that has enticed us and dragged us away, has given birth to the sin which brings forth death in our life. Death from our own actions, affliction from our own pursuits, our own sins. The comfort with self-affliction is that there is an opportunity to repent. There is, as long as we are breathing, there is a a chance to turn from our self-infliction to wholeness, to walking the way we ought to walk instead of the way we're walking. There is opportunity to repent. And that should be a comfort to us, that when I fall I get up and I have a chance to turn around and make it better the next time. There's an opportunity for repentance. And that is from the kindness of God and from his goodness. It's his kindness that leads us unto repentance. So there's general affliction, there's self-affliction, and there's also affliction from sin, the sin of others. If you would uh, turn to Second Samuel 11, we're going to look at verses 2 to 17, I'm going to read. Um, in our world, we think about morality in this way that, well, if no one gets hurt, then nothing is wrong. You know, as long as, uh, as, long as no one gets hurt, you know, it's okay to do really uh, pretty much anything is fine as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Um, Jesus has a different perspective. He says, if you, uh, for instance, look lustfully, with lustful intent toward a woman, you commit adultery with her. So let's consider Uriah and David and Bathsheba. Second Samuel 11 verse 2. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to the house, to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab If you look with lustful intent at a woman, you have already committed adultery. This whole episode starts with David looking at a woman in the wrong way, it ends with David bearing a son through this woman and killing her husband. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. I say before you now that we should expect affliction from the sin of others. We inflict ourselves with our own sin. Others inflict us with their sin. The fact is, sin leads to death. David left an unchecked amount of lust And laziness in his heart, and the result was adultery and death. When was it wrong for David? When did he cross the line? He crossed it when he looked with lustful intent. From there, the die was cast. We will face affliction from the sin of other people. It should not be a surprise to us. It is a reality that we face. There is a comfort in this. Ultimately, there will be judgment for sin. Every person will stand before the throne of God And will be judged for their sin. For those who do not accept the grace of Jesus, their sin will be judged rightly with eternal condemnation. For those who repent and Receive the gift of grace from Christ, their sin will be forgiven. That reality should be a comfort to us that those who afflict will be judged rightly. And we ought to pray that those who afflict us would come to know the grace of Jesus and be comforted in spite of their sin. And sometimes we even are comforted by justice that comes in this life. And we should rejoice for that. That is a good thing, that justice would come. So there are general afflictions, there are self-afflictions, there are afflictions from sin, and there are persecutions, afflictions because of faith, which is what we see here in the passage most, uh, most clearly. These are afflictions that we also should expect. Daniel uh, 7 says this in verse 21-22, "...as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom." There will be war made on the saints. It is promised to us. And, and Jesus even speaks in John 16, to three, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the father nor me. Persecution is promised. It is an affliction that we should expect. We should expect this to come. Paul speaks boldly in this passage about a response to affliction through persecution and all these afflictions that are here. General self-affliction, affliction from sin, affliction because of faith. faith They all have a purpose and we are delivered from all of them. Paul writes in verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so that through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Affliction is a reality. It is going to occur. It is part of our life and we should expect it both generally and and biblically. We should expect affliction to come upon us. We should not be surprised when it does. It will occur. But our affliction is not just for us. In our affliction, we identify with Christ. Christ took on all affliction for us on the cross. And throughout his life, he bore the burdens of humanity perfectly and felt them entirely. We do not have a high priest who does not sympathize with our affliction. He has experienced it and feels it to the fullness And in our affliction that we experience, we somehow get a small little glimmer of a taste of what he went through on the cross for us. What he experienced on our behalf of of what he experienced of what we deserve from God. And so if we are afflicted, it it is actually a a comfort to us that God is faithful. He delivers. Christ defeated the grave and all affliction on the cross. And he's coming again to draw us home too, to raise us up before our God. If we are afflicted, it is for comfort, not just comfort in experiencing what Christ has experienced, but comfort in that we can share with those around us that there is hope beyond this affliction, that this affliction is not where it ends, but there is good that God has prepared for us. There's a purpose in our affliction and it is comfort. Comfort that in spite of Every circumstance I face, God is good. He is merciful. He is loving. He pours out grace upon us. this quote from Spurgeon is helpful. It would be a very sharp and trying experience to me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me, that the bitter cup was never lifted by his hand, that my trials were never measured out by him, nor sent to me by his arrangement of their weight and quantity. There's something to be learned in affliction for us all and it is each each experience is unique and each experience is something that we individually have with the Lord and each experience is not something that uh, is a simple formula to resolve. But I think we can say with Spurgeon that that God gives us no more than we can bear. That He knows what we can handle and He allows it for a purpose. And in that we find comfort. That what God has allowed, He knows we can endure and He empowers us to endure it. There's purpose in affliction. And finally, we have deliverance. Verses 8 to 11, Paul speaks of his current circumstance and saying that he doesn't want the Corinthians to be ignorant. He says, "...the affliction they experienced in Asia, of the experience they had in Asia, for they were so utterly burdened beyond their strength that they despaired of life itself. Indeed, they felt they had received the sentence of death." But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul says, we were to the point of death, but our hope is in a God who has defeated death. So whatever experience of affliction that we walk through, God knows it and has conquered it and has risen Christ from the dead. And he too will rise us from the dead. He will deliver us. Paul goes on in verse 10 to say, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. And on him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. He has, he is, and he will deliver us. As dark and deep as a hole that affliction can be in this life, whether terminal disease or chronic uh, pain and affliction, or the loss of a child, or grieving the loss of a loved one. As dark and deep as it is, it has been defeated on the cross through Jesus. We have deliverance in him. He has, he is, he will deliver us. It is a sure hope on which we stand. Verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that you share in our sufferings. You will also share in our comfort through Jesus. Our deliverance is on a foundation of what Christ has done for us on the cross, what Christ has endured on our behalf. Our deliverance is also somehow helped by prayer. Verse 11 says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. We should not discount the reality that prayer is a part of our comfort from affliction. That speaking to God from a place of pain or for another who is in pain is a part of enduring affliction, is a part of finding comfort in our affliction, Paul states it plainly here. You also must help us by prayer. On the heels of saying that deliverance comes from God, he says you must help us by prayer. And so we must testify with Paul here that prayer is a part of confronting the affliction that we face in life. So that many will give thanks for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Prayer is a part of resolving affliction in our lives. He has delivered us. He will deliver us. He is delivering us. And part of that is through our prayers. As I close, I want to... Read another piece of this article. Our friends, family, and church were spectac- spectacularly glorious in the days that followed. It's impossible for me to stress that enough. They were unbelievable. The weight was not ours alone to shoulder, which made tasting the nightmare that unfolded at least palatable. John Piper once wrote that he loves the ready tears of strong men. I now have some old t-shirts that would agree with John Piper. My friends came and held me and we wept. Their wives came and held my wife too. It was a spectacular outpouring of God's grace in giving us deep and enduring friendships. These friends with whom we had built up a thousand or three thousand common days together bore a part of our burden. I'm not sure how we would have moved forward without them and without their prayer. The Lord sustained us throughout. We certainly did not sustain ourselves. On our way home from the memorial and burial, Jen told me she felt like she'd never worshiped like she did at Kate's memorial. She'd never had this much on the table. In our 30 plus years on earth, we have almost exclusively known great gifts, and a rich life. I said this at the memorial, but we have a good life. We have tremendous friends, enjoy our work, and delight in our children. For a lot of us, myself included, Christianity has come easy. There has been no suffering. There has been no pain. There have been few questions. There has been no reason not to trust God and not to call ourselves Christians. And now there is. Now we have known unimaginable death, depths. The sorrow that flowed that week is an unspeakable thing. And we can truthfully say that the Lord is good in both, if not greater in sorrow. That was what we tried to point to all week. That we do not hope in our children, that we do not hope in each other, that we do not hope in our friends or our families Or in anything else outside the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. That is all in Christ, in Christ alone. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you endured the cross scorning it, shame. We thank you that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And as such, any affliction that we experience and we should expect it, is a chance to know a glimmer of what it meant to hang on the cross and say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so many times in affliction, that's exactly what we want to cry. And we thank you, Lord, that you're big enough for that. That you can handle that. But we also thank you, God, that it didn't just stop at the cross. That the story doesn't end with My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The story ends with he is risen. He is risen indeed. There's comfort and hope that we cling to in Jesus. He has defeated death and the grave. He has delivered us. He is delivering us. He will deliver us. No matter whether we're facing general affliction of this life or affliction we have brought upon ourselves or affliction that has been brought upon us by others or affliction because of our faith, we are delivered in Jesus' name. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.